Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. So in the past, Christmas has always brought up kind of mixed emotions for me. I mean, on the one hand, I like celebrating together. And I even like some of the traditions we've put in place and enjoying those with family and friends. But Christmas also tends to just be a lot for me. And all the craziness seems to get magnified like a hundredfold by the stores and commercialism and, you know, the guilt and pressure to give and receive gifts well. And so I, I end up getting typecast into being the Scrooge because I'm honestly just worn out before it all even begins. And I'm not really one to do a lot of decorating. I don't really like traditional Christmas songs until the week of Christmas. <laughs> and I refuse to stand in line for sales. And I'm, I'm usually done with all the togetherness far sooner than anyone else. And then every year, churches around the country talk about the reason for the season and how in the busyness of everything, we can miss it. And so we should all stop and ask the question, have I missed it? Have I been so overwhelmed or distracted or frustrated with everything else? Have I even thought about what this holiday is all about? Have I stopped to reflect on what Christmas means? And, and this year is the same in a lot of ways, but it also feels distinctly different. There are still a million and one messages out there pulling for our attention and pulling it away toward other things, but we have a few new ones this year, don't we? And if we're not thoughtful and if we're not intentional, we really can end up on the other side of this season and not experience the joy and the hope that's there for us. And you know this already, but if you have kids, they're really smart and they're drawing conclusions about what's important, what's at the heart of Christmas by watching and listening to you. And so if we miss it, our kids don't have a chance. And this happens in all of our homes. But rather than implicating myself uh, anymore, I, I want to read to you a story from a pastor who was talking with his daughter about Christmas time. He says this. He says, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my daughter, Karis, and I said, do you know what special day is coming up? She said, yes, Christmas. She was really excited about it. So I said, that's right, honey. And, and do you know what Christmas means? Why it's so important? And she kind of shrugged her shoulders. So I said, I'll give you a hint. It's important because it's someone's birthday. It's the birthday of someone who's special and who's loving and powerful. Someone who will usher in peace and justice. Someone who will save the world and, and heal the world of all its hurts. Do you know who that someone is? Do you know whose birthday we're celebrating? And she said, yes, it sounds like Dora. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if that was a function of my massive failure as a pastor and a father, or if it was a function of the massive success of the Dora marketing team. But without skipping a beat, she asked, Daddy, what kind of presents am I going to get for Dora's birthday? And that was a humbling spiritual moment for me because she was so sincere. But I was wondering how she could be so far off on why we celebrate Christmas. And she's, she's five, so obviously it's not her fault. I blame her mother because I don't know what she's teaching my kids when I'm out there pastoring. <laughs> Isn't that great? 
So this morning, I'm going to try and help us prepare for this Christmas season. And for a very small amount of you, you seem to be there already. And I say a very small amount because I I know of only like one. Like you have the tree up already and a million little light displays. And you've been ready for this Christmas since last Christmas. But for a lot of us, it seems to be taking a little bit longer. And this year more than ever. But why? Well, I think most of us are just sick of it. And you might ask yourself, well, what? What are we sick of? And we'd say all of it. We're sick of virtual school. We're sick of quarantining. We're sick of businesses closing and shipping times being increased, movie theaters being closed. And there's a lot of things that we're sick of that really come down to personal inconveniences. But really, I think we're all emotionally exhausted by seeing so many people getting sick and the effects of that on our world. Seeing our friends, our family members, our coworkers dealing with losing a job or the division among people that's happening right now. And I think for a lot of us, Christmas is just getting lost somewhere in the midst of all that. But it's as important as it's ever been. And this happens every year, whether we're in the middle of a pandemic or not. But this year, it's just different. Now, we're launching into this Christmas series called God Is. And we're going to talk about who God is and what he's done. And first, God sent Jesus to the earth because he is the light. And second, God is the reconciler, and we need him for that. And third, God knew we needed some hope. And guess what? He is the hope. And finally, God knew we couldn't do it on our own. So God is with us. Now, this season should be filled with incredible joy, but everything, I mean, at least for me, everything seems to be sucking the joy right out of it. And so this morning and throughout this series, we need some realignment. And we're going to start by looking at God as light because something has gone terribly wrong on our planet. Things have gone dark down here and we need some light, don't we? And that's why Jesus came to earth. So here's the one thing I want to make sure you hear this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say, just get joy in this statement. That Christmas tells us the world is a dark place. But nevertheless, Jesus brings the light of hope. See, the message of Christmas is really God bringing some light into a dark world. Now, the darkness in the world right now may feel new and fresh and particularly, you you know, unique right now. But the darkness has been around for a while. And you may recall what happened a few days before Christmas a little while ago. Uh, It's Friday, December 14th, 2012 when a gunman walked into an elementary school and killed 20 kids. Or May 27th, 1997, I wasn't here then, but I hear about it all the time. A tornado wreaked havoc through Gerald, Texas, and 27 people lost their lives. Or the hundreds of thousands that have died throughout history because of one evil or another. This darkness and suffering has been going on for thousands of years, ever since the Garden of Eden. And when we think, and when things like this happen, when we're confronted with evil and darkness and suffering, we scramble for answers and we scramble for fixes and we try to make sense of it all and find some sort of resolution. And where do we go for hope and healing after something like that? Right? Where do we go? Well, we listen to all the experts talk about it, don't we? We listen to the gossip. What are, what are everyone else's opinions So you have people saying, well, the problem is guns. We have too many guns, or we don't have enough guns, or the real problem isn't guns, it's video games. Do you remember that? 
And we even like to play the blame game with disasters. And like it was the ice caps or scientists halfway around the world or mother nature is trying to get our attention. And we scramble for an explanation and we look in all the wrong places. And I think all of these answers reveal how lost we really are and how in the dark we are when it comes to the problem of evil and darkness and suffering. Isaiah 9 is this famous Christmas passage. And it's read all the time in churches during this season. And because it's read all the time, we hear it, we sing it, and we kind of just autopilot through it. And we miss what it's actually saying about Christmas. And if you aren't familiar with this passage, that's great because we're going to unpack it uh, today. So here it goes. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, notice it begins with an important word. The word, nevertheless. That's important because it tells us that what's said in Isaiah 9 is connected to Isaiah 8. And what's said in Isaiah 8 is going to change in Isaiah 9, nevertheless. So in order to understand Isaiah 9, you have to know the context of what's going on beforehand. So at the end of chapter 8, it says this. It says, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Sound familiar? So what's happening in Isaiah 8 is the people are crushed. They're devastated by all the evil and the suffering. They're they're confronted with the darkness and brokenness of the world. And they're lost. And so they curse their political leaders and then they curse their God. Where are you? Where were you? Right? How, how could you let this happen? And in their desperation, Isaiah 8.22 says that they reject God and they look toward the earth for answers. And so here's the question. If you do that, if you curse God and you reject the whole notion of God, where do you find hope for this world? Where do we put our hope? Do we, do we put our hope in politicians and scientists? Do we put our hope in democracy and capitalism? Do we, do we place our hope in the human spirit and ingenuity? Right? Where, where do we put our hope? Well, Paul says the Greeks put their hope in wisdom. They believed that education was the light in the darkness, the rational mind. The world's going to be saved by great thinkers and great ideas and great technologies. Hope is in academia, in in think tanks, and philosophers. And this was the whole view of the Enlightenment and the the view of modernism, really, that we could educate ourselves to this utopia. And the Greeks said, we need better schools. Well, the Jews, on the other hand, didn't say that. The Jews put their hope in politics and, and signs from God. They said, we're looking for a sign, a sign of a political leader who will rise up and overthrow our oppressors. We're in this mess because we have a crisis of leadership. We need a political savior. And so Isaiah 8 is really pressing this question that if we reject the whole notion of God 
And if we look to the earth and put our hope in creating better schools, better businesses, better economies, better laws, politics, leaders, and better technologies, will that address the problem of evil and suffering and be our light in the darkness? Well, the great thinker H.G. Wells believes, believes so. And I find this so fascinating. That's why, that's what he thought when he wrote his book, A Brief History of the World. He was a scholar and a historian. And in this book, he wrote this. He says, can we doubt that presently our race will more than realize our boldest imaginations? That it will achieve unity and peace. That it will live. The children of our blood and lives will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know. Going on from strength to strength in an ever-widening circle of adventure and achievement. What man has done, the little triumphs of his present state, in all this history we have told, form but the prelude to the things that man has got to do. Like, wow. Talk about optimism. Can you hear that in his his writing? I mean, he's placing incredible hope in science and democracy and social institutions. He's saying, we're changing. We're on the way up. But then World War II hits. And after World War II, this is what he wrote in his book called A A Mind at the End of Its Tether. And it's just a mere, like nine years later, he writes this. The cold-blooded massacres of the defenseless, the return of deliberate and organized torture, mental torment and fear to a world from which such things had seemed well-nigh banished, has come near to breaking my spirit altogether. Homo sapiens, which by the way literally means man the wise, as he's been pleased to call himself, is played out. Right? H.G. Wells is saying exactly what this passage in Isaiah is saying, that this world is a dark place and it cannot save itself. That's one of the most important messages of Christmas. It's not the one we normally hear at Christmas time, but Christmas tells us that this world is a dark place. And it's not just Isaiah saying this. In fact, we we forget that the first Christmas was shrouded in darkness and tragedy. In Matthew 2.16, that when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. See, this is the part of the Christmas story that that gets written out of all the school plays. It's this crazy dichotomy that at the very moment the people are celebrating the good news of great joy for all people, at at that very same moment, The parents in a small town of Bethlehem are struck with tragedy and disaster because their kids were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's the the birth of Jesus really juxtaposed with the massacre of innocents. What does that mean? How do we process that? Well, the author John Eldridge says that it tells us that humanity is, is a battleground, that the world is a dark place. He writes this, He says, I'm staggered by the level of naivete that that most people live with regarding to evil. They don't take it seriously. They don't live as though the story has a villain. 
Not the devil prancing about in red tights carrying a pitchfork, but the incarnation of the very worst of every enemy you've met in every other story. Dear God, the Holocaust, child prostitution, terrorist bombings, genocidal governments. What is it going to take for us to take evil seriously? C.S. Lewis says he was surprised when he read the, the New Testament seriously. That it talks so much about the dark power in the universe. A mighty evil spirit that was the power behind death and disease and sin. And so Lewis says that this tells us that the universe is at war. And some of us hear that kind of thing and we think it just sounds like a bunch of made up silliness or science fiction. But then how do we talk about the problem of evil? And where do we put our hope for what's happening here? As Julian Huxley said that all of our science and all of our reason will never be able to answer three questions. What is the purpose of life? How did human beings get into the mess they're in? And how can we get out of it? It's darkness. The message of Christmas is that the world is a dark place. And the more you look at the earth for answers, the darker it gets. That's Isaiah 8, right? Merry Christmas and all a good night. But then Isaiah 9 opens up with a single word of hope. Nevertheless, yeah, things are dark. Things are, things are, are getting darker and darker, bleaker and bleaker. But nevertheless, it says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, it says. They've seen it. They didn't generate it. They didn't drum it up. They didn't develop it. They discovered it, which really tells us that the light, this light and hope are from outside of us. The world cannot save itself. And that's precisely why the light came. And so Christmas tells us that even though the world is dark and there is evil, suffering, and sickness, nevertheless, there is hope. There's real hope, ultimate hope, because God came. He came. Light has come, and it's, it's piercing through this darkness. God came. That's the message of Christmas. He intervened. He, he got involved. God moved into our situation. He's bringing light and hope from the outside. That's, that's the incredible message of hope at Christmas time. That's why we celebrate, because there is a God, and he sent his son into the world for us. That's why it says later in chapter 9 in verse 6. And this is the part that, that so many of us uh, remember. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Here's the key point. Christmas tells us the world is a dark place. Nevertheless, Jesus brings the light of hope. So maybe especially now, when the suffering and the sickness and darkness in the world seems so close to home, we should focus on the meaning of Christmas because it brings hope. Jesus came and he suffered. He was brutally cru crucified for the sins of the world. And that tells us something else that's very important. Christmas gives us light and hope because when we experience darkness, we often ask God, why? Why would he allow this to happen? 
And if we're honest, the deeper the pain we're going through, the, the more unsatisfying the answers you typically get from people are. And honestly, most of the time, the answer is, I don't know. But here's the thing, we're, we're not completely lost on that question. Because Christmas tells us that even though we may not know what the reason for suffering is, we know what the reason is not. It isn't that God doesn't love us. It isn't that God doesn't care. God loves us and hates suffering so much that he was willing to come down and enter into it with us. And the message of Christmas from the prophet Isaiah is that even though the world is a dark place, nevertheless, there is hope because light has come. One last thought about this text. Christmas, it tells us that light and hope come from unexpected places. What's so strange about how God sent his son is that he sent him as a child and he sent him through Galilee. It says in Isaiah 9.1, it says, In the past he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. The reason this is so strange is because Galilee was this despised little podunk uh, area, especially Nazareth in Galilee, where Jesus grew up. There was this common saying back then, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because they knew it was this backwater town in a part of the country that was despised by everyone. But God sends Jesus to Nazareth for that very reason. That's exactly why God sends his son as a little baby, born to poor parents, born to an unwed mother in a food trough. He was raised in this backwater town called Nazareth. Why, be, why does God do that? It's really to remind us every single Christmas that there's always hope, no matter how hopeless it seems. The world is really always writing people off saying, this kind of person never changes or this kind of situation never gets better. And this kind of situation, there's, there's no hope for that. We're always writing things off. But God reminds us through Christmas that he loves to go into situations that look the most hopeless, the most unlikely, the most unexpected. And that's where he loves to do his miracles. Thank you, God. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done or how hopeless your situation is, God loves to make his light break through in unlikely, unexpected places. That's why Christmas reminds us that there's always hope because anything is possible with God and nothing is impossible with God. Christmas reminds us that the world is a dark place, but nevertheless, the light has come. Hope has come. A child is born. A son is given. And he will usher in justice and peace. And he will one day defeat evil and darkness. And and death will not have the last word. We have nothing to fear. Anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. And that's why we celebrate. So as we enter into the next few weeks and we sing our Christmas songs and we set up our trees and and we get bombarded with commercials and deals. And as we watch the darkness in the world get darker and darker, let's focus on the light. Let's focus on the hope. Let's focus on Jesus and how he can bring good out of even the worst evil. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you sent your son into the darkness. God, that we can have hope, that we can have light, that we can have hope for a future with you that is so much better. But God, that we can start that with you right now. 
And so as we enter into this Christmas series and into this Christmas season, God, help us to refocus our thoughts and refocus our minds on you and the hope that you bring. No matter what's going on outside of us, that you bring us hope. And God, help us to to look to you in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the confusion. God, that we can be centered on you and you alone. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.